Hello, food world. It's Robert Crutchfield from Crutchfield Cooks here with another intriguing episode of Crutchfield Cooks, the podcast. This week, we're talking about teaching kids about growing food and the importance of gardening and how that applies to uh, food insecurity. And we're talking with Ayers from Minnesota, from Wisconsin, rather. Here's Sarah. Okay, this time around, we're going to talk about teaching kids all kinds of neat things about how food is grown. And we're talking to a lady from up in, was it Wisconsin? That's correct. Wisconsin, that has a, a couple of really great ways of doing that she's going to share with us. So why don't you introduce her, yourself and uh, start filling this in? Sure. So my name is Sarah Ayers and I have, I live on a farm in a small farm in Southwest Wisconsin and four kids. And in my spare time, I have written a series of children's books about life on our farm, but it's narrated by the spiders that live in various areas of our farm, the chicken coop, the barn, the garden, and then the farmhouse kitchen. And so. So it's more than just Charlie. Yeah, Charlie is the the chicken coop spider. So her name is actually Charlotte, but she goes by Charlie. She is not the famous Charlotte of Charlotte's Web, but she um, is living in the chicken coop. And and she the first book is about uh, narrated by her, and it's basically about the first year that we raised chickens on our farm and all the sort of trials and tribulations that we went through in getting our chicken flock up and running. And then she writes letters. So. So the premise of the book, obviously the fictional premise, is that her chicken coop sits on top of our internet line and she can access the human internet through her spider web, but that all <laughs> spiders are connected through the spider wide web where they can send messages to other spiders uh, through their webs, the vibrations in their webs. They can, they can communicate with other spiders basically anywhere in the world. And so she writes, they all, all four of the spiders you know, exchange letters with each other about what's going on on the farm and in their various parts of the farm. And you say there's four books? So, and in the process of writing, the third book is supposed to be coming out at the end of March here. So yes, there's Charlie, the Tales from the Coop is, is Charlie the Chicken Coop Spider. And then we have Tales from the Garden, which is Sally the Garden Spider. And then I'm currently in the process of getting the third book edited. So that's Roberta, the kitchen spider is talking all about what goes on in the farmhouse kitchen. And she actually shares recipes. So she says that living in a farmhouse kitchen is like watching a cooking show. And so she has her favorite, her favorite episodes of her cooking show where she watches all the things we make. So even though she doesn't eat human food. She enjoys and smelling and critiquing all the different foods that she sees going on in front of her. Sure, sure. And so what age group are these books aimed at? So they're chapter books, so like 8 to 12 kind of age group. Although, you know, my oldest is 11. And so all of my kids have enjoyed either reading or, or listening to the stories. They particularly enjoy the fact that I have not, I have not changed the names of the animals to protect the innocent because I couldn't come up with that many additional animal names on top of the ones we already had to come up with the names of all of our animals. So they enjoy the fact that they recognize all the, the characters' names. So, and they do also refer to all spiders that they see around our property by the names of the spiders in the books. So. Sure. 
And so what kind of things do these books teach children about? I know the general topic is how food grows and where food comes from and that kind of thing. But can you, can you tell us a little more detail about sure. the kind of things so, they go into? Yeah, the books are set up to each cover one year in life of the farm. And it goes through, so there's kind of, you know, a little introduction to the farm. And then it goes through each month. So my contention in the book is that the farm year starts in the spring. So it actually starts in March because everything on a farm starts in the spring. And so each month, the spiders each sort of write letters to each other about what's happening in their area of the farm. So, uh, you know, the first book, Charlie is the narrator. So she kind of talks mostly, but it goes through how chickens really, you know, grow, how they interact with each other, what, you know, raising chickens is really like. The, the garden spider talks a lot about, you know, how you would actually, you know, prepare your garden, you know, growing gardens, dealing with pests, you know, harvesting preserving, you know, bringing things in when the weather changes, all, all the kinds of things. And so each month, you know, each spider sort of gives you an update of what's going on in their area and what things might be going on. The, the barn spider talks about the different large animals. Yeah. And then, of course, the kitchen spider talks about, you know, taking that food, what foods are coming in, seasonal eating and preserving and, and cooking with, with farm fresh produce. And so it's kind of a part, you know, entertainment, right? because there's a lot of silly stories and the stories are pretty much completely true. Like all the things that happened in the books actually have happened on our farm. And so they're like real things that people may not know about. Even people that are, you know, educated people or even live in a semi-rural area, you don't really know some of these things until you actually, you know, raise some of these, you know, plants or animals. So just things that people don't really think about in terms of, you know, how their food what their food does before it appears on their plate. Sure, sure. One of the best things I got, I did growing up, aside from helping my parents with their vegetable garden, was uh, one time in particular, I grew my own crop of peanuts. Okay. It was just one little row down the side of the house, being a city kid. But, you know, yeah. it was my egg. Don't laugh. It was my crop. And I was like, man. I was very yeah, proud of those peanuts. Yeah, my contention is that it doesn't matter. Like one pot on a windowsill is a garden, right? Like that you're you're a gardener, you're you're a mm. farmer. If you're any amount of food that you grow, it changes your relationship with the food when you've grown it yourself. So and I think it also helps, you know, think about making healthy choices in terms of whole foods and, and food processing and all that to kind of think about, you know, the fact that you know, food doesn't come from a grocery store, right? Somewhere Every piece of food that you eat somewhere out there, someone grew that food and, and, you know, processed it and, you know, did whatever it needed to do in order to get it to your, to your plate. Absolutely. Another aspect of what I was younger is I was, being a city kid, I was lucky in a sense because my mother's side of the family were farm people and we would go up every summer and we would spend anywhere from one to three weeks on the farm. So as far as that sort of thing goes, I kind of grew up culturally confused, but obviously you're located on an actual physical farm. What kind of feedback have you had on your book from parents that live in more urban areas in the cities and, and places where places more like where I grew up, but they don't have the advantage of farm vacations every summer? Yeah, I, you know, a mix, right? I mean, some people look at it as sort of pure, you know, sort of entertainment, right? Just like a interesting story or, or engaging character is fun to read, which is fine. And I, I feel like, you know, the educational aspect of it is, you know, you can kind of take as much out of it as you want. Like there may be kids who 
don't really, you know, wouldn't care to ever actually grow any of their own food, but they just would be interested in hearing about these, you know, goofy farm animals. But then I've also had, you know, comments and people saying that even people who did have some you know, background or had done some gardening or, you know, had some experience that they still learned things, you know, that like even people who felt like they were relatively aware of, you know, food and, and how food is grown still learn some things. So it's, it's, it, it's a bit of a mix. I do also have some other resources on my website for people who are interested in actually getting started with doing some of their own, you know, gardening or, or raising you know, their food. And so, you know, th- there has been, you know, hopefully some interest, you know, in people who do want to take it that step further. I mean, the book doesn't say, you know, go out and start your own garden. It just is like, this is, you know, this is an interesting and fun way to engage people. And some of those people may want to take it to, you know, the next step. If they, they Absolutely. And, and that may in some ways be the more part and part of your mission, as you may be aware, one of the big issues in the cities with food insecurity is what they call food deserts, where people are uh, in practical distances from grocery stores, especially the larger super grocery stores that have the less expensive prices. And one of the strategies that's been most successful around the country combating that is the whole concept of community gardens. Mm-hmm which has the benefit of not only feeding people in a literal sense, but since you're, you're dealing with fresh fruits and vegetables and, and not so much processed food and whatnot. So gardening is, not, is definitely not something just for country people. It's, it's increasingly a surviving, survival skill, even for those of us that live in the cities. Yeah, definitely. And I actually have developed a a scavenger hunt for kids that they can do with their parents. And then 15 minutes, they can find stuff around the house and they can actually use to start growing a garden at home without having to go buy, you know, tons of, of garden supplies and those kinds of things. Well, a lot of times you can't, but it's like you said a while ago, it's as simple as even for people that live in apartments in the city like I do, one pot, three pots. There, there are a lot of what, they're, they're like, there are planters that are, what, about three feet long and eight or 10 inches wide that you could actually grow yeah. quite a bit in if you knew what you were doing. And it's one of those situations where every little bit helps. Yeah, definitely. And there are some things, especially like fresh herbs and salad grains, that actually can make a pretty big difference in terms of how much you would spend to buy those fresh all the time in the store. They can make a, you know, you can, it's cheaper to grow them yourself than buy, you know, the little plastic packages of things that it, that you don't necessarily use in, in huge quantities. Not only that, but it gets you away from things like one of the downsides of the food desert situation is people end up getting forced into buying the food at places like dollar stores, convenience stores, et cetera. Not that there's anything wrong with a dollar store or a convenience store, but they tend to be very heavy on frozen and processed food and very light on things like fruits, vegetables, milk, eggs, that That's sort of thing. thing. Yep. So to any percentage that we can get fresh food to people who are challenged getting food at all, even, even a planter or two on, on every other patio would make a big difference. Yeah, for sure. 
I think I saw something. Did you, wasn't there something in your material also about you had, or you were working on some sort of online course? Yeah, I do have an online course for people who want to, you know, take that next step and actually try to learn how to grow food and go homegrown food in 30 days or less and sort of walks you through a little bit of the like planning your garden and then planting it and, you know, then, you know, kind of protecting and, and growing the plants and then picking and harvesting your stuff. And, you know, for certain types of vegetables, like radishes and things, you can actually grow them in 30 days or less. And so it is designed to be for people in, you know, any sort of scenario, right? So people who are apartment dwellers versus people who want to, you know, actually go out and, and dig up their suburban backyard or whatever. And so, yeah, so that's one of the things that is available on my website. If people are interested. Let's go back and get a little deeper into your background. Uh, were you always a farm wife? Did you have other things in your background that's helping you with what you're trying to do now? Yeah, no, I, I grew up in, a, you know, a medium-sized city, like 50, 60,000. My parents always had gardens and we did have chickens in our backyard growing up until, well, we had a rooster and then we found out we weren't supposed to have roosters. <laughs> we just had hen for a while and then they eventually we, we didn't have them anymore. But yeah, so we always, you know, it was always normal for me to kind of go out in the backyard and get fruit or vegetables that were growing out there, even living in the city. And then, you know, after I moved away, I went to college. I grew up in Iowa and then moved away, went to college and got, you know, my first jobs and things. It wasn't really until I got married and got pregnant with my first kid that I started really thinking more intentionally about, you know, food and, and the kinds of things that, you know, the choices that I was making basically in terms of food. And so when we moved back to the Midwest, I mean, I had a garden going in our, on our property before we even broke ground on our, at her house, because I just. And so they were like, wait, 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 we haven't closed yet. Get good. Let, let the spade down. I was like, there. Was, like, yeah, like I finally have, you know, more than just a pot on a patio and I was excited. And so, you know, it's just, there are lots of options and there are good options in cities with, you know, community gardens, community supported agriculture, farmers markets, all those options. But I just wanted to have, you know, more control over, you know, what varieties there were, like what options I would have to feed my family. And then as the kids got older, you know, getting them involved and teaching them things has also been really an important part for our family that they each have their own little garden row and they can choose what they want to grow. And it has made a big difference, I think, in their choices because kids are it, it appears, at least in my experience, kids are way more interested in eating fruits and vegetables that they've grown themselves, right? Like if they had a, a part in in growing it, it just things that mommy might buy at the store and offer to them are not interesting. But if they grew it themselves, they'll eat things that I would otherwise think they probably wouldn't even want to try because they were more invested in it. I can imagine they clean their plate a lot more often too, because after they work, get all that hard work for it, they still don't want to waste either. Yeah, I think it does have an impact on food waste, right? To think that it's not just, you know, sort of this endless supply of stuff that just appears, you know, at the grocery store, that it's something that they understand. Even for stuff that we don't grow ourselves, they understand that somebody grew it and somebody, you know, worked hard on, on raising that thing. We also, you know, all of our kitchen scraps pretty much go out to our chicken coop. And so, like, even when we do have some waste, you know, just I feel better about it, at least, that we're at least getting a little bit back from that in terms of eggs. 
and meat to not have to just be wasting, you know, food. And I mean, people who don't have chickens, you could do, you could compost and other things too, but it does, it does have an impact on, on their choices in terms of food. So it's been helpful, but yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in food, but this is also not, you know, my full-time job and my husband is interested as well. We don't farm full-time when we both have other jobs. And so this is just one of our many fun things to do in our, in our spare time. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. What, what kind of work do you and your husband do off the farm? Farms usually are, are thought of as more than enough work all by themselves. Well, we don't, we don't have a crop farm. Like we don't grow, you know, uh-huh. acres and acres of, of soybeans and corn or anything like that. It's, it's more of a, a hobby farm that we grow just food for ourselves. We had, we don't currently have any cows on the farm, but at the most we had like five or six cows and oh. we have a flock of sheep now. We have eight sheep on the farm and, you know, a dozen chickens and that kind of stuff. But we do, I mean, we live on 20 acres, so it is, it is a legitimate farm. It's just not one that produces a ton of agricultural products to be sold on the market. So, yeah. So just for sake of background, if nothing else, how far, how far out, how far out are you from what you would consider a legitimate city? Are you, are you deep in the country, even as a small farm? Are you kind of barely out of the suburbs? Where are you? Yeah, our small town, I mean, we're about two or three miles outside of a town of about, I think it's 11,000-ish, but it's 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 got a university there. So if you count the students, I think it's closer to, you know, 20 or something. So during the school year, it's closer to 20. It's a piece of the uni- University of Wisconsin, you know, sure. system. So it's got a decent-sized university in it. So it's not tiny, but I mean, the closest, you know, big city, I guess, you know, couple hundred thousand or whatever is an hour or so away so it's not it's not completely out in the back country at all but it's just a lot of you know smaller it's out enough it's out enough i just sit here thinking it's got to be particularly challenging even to try and run a small farm and work other full-time jobs on the outside although there was a story in my family they took great pride when we were on vacation up north and we would go around, we would go from one town to another. We'd go across this one section of freeway. And they would tell us how during one particular, particularly hard time, my grandfather would work on building that section of the freeway during the daytime and farmed at night because uh-huh. that's what it took to, to keep the farm and the family going. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the big farm or bigger farmers around here, you know, do also have off farm jobs, you know, that they they do both, and we we do see tractors out late into the evening on t- you know times. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of family farms they'll share equipment, and so it's like, yeah, you know, all, between all the aunts and uncles and cousins and whatever, <laughs> it's like, when is it your turn to get the harvester? You know, it's like it might not oh, be I know. Friday night at, at eight p.m., but that's when you got it. That's when you do your harvesting. So when I was off in the summer playing farm kid, they did the same thing, and that was more years ago than I want to admit. <laughs> so there's nothing new about that for sure, because I can remember even as a kid being aware that uh, my 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 farmer uncle, and in some cases bring farmers and, and whatnot would they would form co-ops just to buy just to buy certain pieces of equipment and and they would they would rotate we just one one of my biggest memories is 
I was up there one time when it was my uncle's turn to use the combine. And here I was, this little kid sitting up in the big fast house on the top of the giant. Yep. Looking out at the rows and rows of roads. Yeah. We don't, we don't have any of those on our property, but we see them coming down, you know, coming down the road by our farm. We'll see them. And I mean, they take up the whole road and then some, you know, yeah. you don't want to be, you don't want to go in the other way on a small road when you see one of those things. No, I'm not sure how they got some of them on and off the road to tell you the truth. <laughs> I know I was little. They were big. Okay. Okay. We're coming up on the 20 minute mark. So we're doing pretty good on time. Was, was there anything in particular that you wanted to cover that we haven't gotten to yet? I mean, I guess, you know, this being a, a food podcast, you know, the, the third book is focusing on cooking in the kitchen and, you know, seasonal cooking. And so that's one of the things that I did. I'm trying to work through all of the books, really. But the idea that, you know, a lot of people these days just think that it's normal to have, you know, certain fruits and vegetables and things that's available 365 days of the year. <laughs> and, you know, I try to talk about in the books how, you know, everything on a farm is is seasonal, you know, like there are things that you do in certain times of the year that you don't do at other times of the year. And some of those things involve, you know, eating certain kinds of food. And, you know, there are obviously foods that store well or whatever that is probably not that big of a deal. But some of the food, specifically, we talk about the books like, you know, tomatoes and, and some of the other foods that don't, you know, store in their in their right form very well. It just makes a huge difference in eating that kind of food when it's actually in season as opposed to, you know, something that you get from the store that's probably been shipped halfway across the world. And so I think that's another piece that I sort of advocate for is like, I'm not saying that people should deprive themselves of their favorite foods during certain times of the year or anything, but like the difference in eating seasonally and, and in enjoying foods when they're at their sort of peak stage of ripeness as opposed to, you know, sort of accepting the like cardboard tomatoes <laughs> for the right, right. ones of the year. Well, I think in a lot of ways we've gotten spoiled in recent years. Last year in Houston, we have a very large port. I can remember several years ago working in a produce warehouse. Probably the largest refrigerator anybody has ever seen in their life, this building. That building was a refrigerator. Yeah. But the forklifts yeah. and whatnot would literally drive around in it. In fact, my job was I had a map and a computer, and a radio, and Kroger or Albertsons or, or, or Walmart or whoever would order a pallet of a certain kind of tomatoes or certain bananas or whatever. Not be going, it's like playing Battleship or something. I'd be like, okay, what you want to do is you want to go to section E3. <laughs> You're just directing traffic. That's all I did. And then when yeah. I got the pallet of tomatoes from B3, I would mark the, the pallet of tomatoes in B3 off my... Mm -hmm. little list on my computer so that I didn't go to B3 again looking for tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Tomato. And the point being that uh, that's what we're used to in recent years. And I don't think people understand that a lot of what we get in the big name grocery stores, we're not eating them in Texas and they came from Wisconsin. They come from Chile. They come from Argentina. They come from certain places where they literally spent weeks on a ship somewhere so a lot of times our fresh vegetables are not as fresh as we think they are yeah uh, so I, th I think there's a real point there Let's see we oh before we get too far we mentioned your website three or four times but i don't think we gave out the address you want to do that now okay sure it's you know www.bellocampofarm so b-e-l-l-o-c-a-m-p-o-f-a-r-m 
all one word, no dot dashes or anything, dot com. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think we certainly will have it covered to tell you the truth. We certainly appreciate it. Any last little bit on any future plans, more books, more online classes, more both? Yeah. So, I mean, we, obviously the third book is coming out at the end of March, and then hopefully the fourth book will be forthcoming by the end of the summer. We'll see to be determined. And that will kind of complete the sort of initial set of four where each spider will get to sort of narrate their own book. Not really sure where I'm going to go with the series after that, whether I'm going to just have more more spider books or whether we'll see if some other animal on the farm decides to start narrating. But uh, so those are the, were the books, plans. And then actually got a couple of other things in the works. My son is very interested in video games. And we've talked about actually creating a farm-based video game that has educational aspects to it as well, kind of like some of the educational math and, and, and language and other things, kind of games where you sort of answer questions and that allows you to you know, get points and do things in the game. So we've talked about creating a farming game like that that would have different levels, you know, maybe starting with, you know, gardening and then moving up to more advanced subjects. So we're actually working on that right now just to see how that might go. And so that would be potentially, you know, something that you could kind of download and and play. And then there'd be companion pieces for people who wanted to kind of take it offline of the game and like actually, you know, do the learning Sure. actually start you know, working on actually, you know, growing things themselves. And then I also have, you know, some community have a newsletter and that people want to hear what's going on in the farm and, and with all the stuff going on and, you know, Facebook group and those kinds of things for people who want to join the community and, and find out more about, you know, what we're doing in the farm and, and forthcoming activities. So I don't have a course launch plan. There's a way, you know, my course right now is sort of evergreen. People can, can jump into the course whenever they want. But we'll see. Hopefully there'll be some more activities coming up later in the year. Well, sounds like you got some great ideas in the pipeline, if not some actual products. Uh, Our big thing is we want to thank you for what you're doing, trying to educate our kids. And in a lot of cases, have been some lost skills for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And more than that, we want to thank you for your time here explaining it all to us. No problem. Yes, it's been my pleasure. Same here. Well, thank you, Sarah, for all that information. 30 minutes sure always does seem to go so fast. If you're looking for even more food information from every corner of the food world, be sure and join us at www.learnmoreeatbetter.com. Until next time.